Father, we do pray that you bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, as we look at this, there's much to, to take in and learn from. We're going to learn of your goodness and your faithfulness. We're going to see also what happens, the rotten fruit that's produced if we become bitter in our hearts. So Lord, teach us now. I pray that we would just be still before you. And Lord, our hearts open to you in our ears as well, our spiritual ears, as we read this text, as we go over what um, these chapters have to say to us. And Lord, we look forward to you speaking to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What we have seen as we've been looking at the life of David so far in First and Second Samuel, that we have seen the rotten fruit that is produced when somebody has a bitter heart. When you look at Hebrews chapter 12, there the author of Hebrews is talking about pursue peace with all men. And he says, make sure that you don't let the root of bitterness spring up within you, which will cause many to be defiled. And so we are warned in Scripture about bitterness taking root in our hearts because what happens when something begins to take root in your heart, like bitterness, it begins to grow. It it grips your heart, and then there's rotten produced uh, fruit that is produced because of that. And we have seen that very clearly, the, the rotten fruit produced in the lives of those who became bitter. As we saw in 1 Samuel, it was Saul, the first king of Israel. And the kingdom was taken away from Saul because of his disobedience and because of his um, not doing the commandments of the Lord and offering an unlawful sacrifice to the Lord. And he was one that didn't repent from that. And he had turned inwardly as we went over those chapters, looking to himself and boasting himself, and he stopped giving glory to the Lord. So it was Samuel the prophet that came along and said, Saul, the kingdom has been taken from you and given to another man who has a heart after the Lord, after me. And of course, that was David. And as David was anointed king, we know that he didn't ascend to the throne right away, but God's hand was on David very mightily. And so David would slew the giant from Gath, Goliath, uh, that champion who issued that challenge, and David the shepherd boy, would defeat Goliath. And then David would be the armor bearer to Saul, and they would go out to battle against the Philistines. And as they would come back from the victory, it was the women of the cities that they were passing through singing that song that Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And Saul became very jealous at that time, and he became angry, and he was bitter towards David, and he began to hate David. So we saw that that hatred built up as a result of bitterness that began to grip Saul's heart. And we know as we went through those chapters, he pursued David and in the wilderness. And it was Saul that ended up dying, a very bitter man there on Mount Gilboa with his son. And now as we get into our text here tonight, we're seeing the rotten fruit of bitterness once again in David's son, who is very angry at his father. He has bitterness towards him, and it's a result of David ignoring Absalom. And the events that began to take place, as we saw in chapter 13, of course, there was David. He had a son named Amnon, who was born to uh, the Jezreelitess, one of his wives, and he would end up raping his half-sister Tamar, who was also uh, of one of David's daughters and from another one of David's wives that was uh, the daughter of the king of Geshur. And Tamar had a brother Absalom. And as that, that 
act was committed upon Tamar, that violent act. It, it was David that found out about it, but he did nothing about it. And we've talked about very specifically how it was that David ignored the whole situation. He did not deal with Abnon. Uh, it was Tamar that ended up finding safety in her brother's home instead of going to her father's house and getting that protection and that covering, it was Absalom that felt like he needed to do something because his father wasn't going to deal with it. And as we have discussed and as we have seen, that David was a great administrator. He was uh, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was also a great warrior, but he really fell short when it came to disciplining his children. And he ignored the situation to where we saw that Absalom, after two years, would end up killing Abnon. And then he would flee to Gesher, where his mother was from. He would be hiding out there in, for three years, and David would not talk to Absalom. He continued to ignore the situation. After those three years, Absalom was brought back to Jerusalem, as we saw last week. And yet, he was there in Jerusalem for two years, and David refused to see his son Absalom. So for five years, David has been ignoring that situation that began in chapter 13 concerning his daughter Tamar. He ignored it. He wouldn't deal with it. And part of it was the fulfilled prophecy of what Nathan told David would happen as a result of his sin with Bathsheba. There's going to be adversity in your house. There's going to be violence in your family. And also he would say that your concubines, that there's going to be one that's going to go into them in the sight of all of Israel. And we're going to see that going to be fulfilled here tonight by his son Absalom, who's now in rebellion. So finally Absalom gets an audience with his father David. But yet David, I believe, at that time continued to ignore the situation. He didn't deal with the root issue. And Absalom was continuing to be bitter, that root of bitterness grabbing his heart and then the rotten fruit being produced in his life. Because even though Absalom externally, outwardly, he was one that was out spot or blemish, the scripture says in chapter 14, he had great looks. Uh, he was one that had 50 runners before him as he was in a chariot, and he began to manipulate. He began to steal the hearts of the men of Israel. And so he goes to the gate of the city, and he begins to talk to the people. Hey, if I was king, your problems would be solved. If I heard your case, I would really be able to give you justice. Things would be different if I was in charge. And so we saw that Absalom would go to Hebron, and from Hebron the conspiracy grew. That's where we left off last time. And the people, their hearts are turning towards Absalom. And he also, in verse 12, Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gelonite, David's counselor. And so we talked a little bit about Ahithophel, David's counselor, very close to David when David was ruling in Israel. And so now the, the uh, overthrow is in motion, and Absalom is going to come into Jerusalem as we pick up our text here at verse 13. Now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So here is Absalom. For four years, he's been working and manipulating, 
stealing the hearts of the people of Israel, saying, if I was in charge, things would be better. And finally, he's going to overthrow David. The word comes to David that the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom, your son. So David, not wanting blood to be spilled in Jerusalem. He doesn't want this this war to take place in, in God's holy city there. He decides we're going to get up and we're going to leave. And we need to leave right now. And as we go through these next few chapters, it's interesting to look at his son Absalom's attitude in taking the throne. We see that Absalom is determined to kill his father David. Absalom is going to make judgments based on that bitterness that he has in his heart towards his father. So much different than what we saw David in his attitude in coming and ascending to the throne, as we saw in 1 Samuel. You recall that David, he would say concerning Saul, he said, I am not going to touch the Lord's anointed. David had opportunity to kill Saul, and David was defending himself because Saul three times threw spears at David, tried to kill him, pursued him relentlessly, but yet David trusted the Lord. And it was David that said, the Lord... You put Saul in as the king, and I'm going to allow you to take him out. And David then tried to force the situation, and he desired to please the Lord in that, and he did. And here's Absalom. He's motivated by this bitterness and this anger and resentment that he has towards his father. And so now he's coming into Jerusalem, and David is fleeing. And we read in verse 15, And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. And then all his servants passed before him, and all of the Cherethites, and all of the Pelethites, and all of the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. So David fleeing from Jerusalem, and as the word of God is emphasizing that David is still the king. Did you notice that? In verse 15, the king. Verse 16, the king. Verse 17, the king. In God's eyes, David is still the king. And we see that David's mighty men, these 600 men, are still with David. And we've been reading about these mighty men. They've been with David for all these years. David has been king in Jerusalem here and king in, in sitting on the throne for over 20 years now. And these men are still loyal to him. And you recall that these men gathered around David when David was being pursued by Saul before he was king. And these men were loyal to David. They were with David in those difficult days when they were hiding in caves in the wilderness, when they were over in that area of the Philistines. These men from Gath, they are devoted to David. They are loyal to David. And I think that we can learn from these 600 men, these mighty men that fought alongside of David. And once again, here they are ready to go with David, to be loyal to him, to follow after him. And one way for you and I to become a mighty man or a mighty woman of God is we have to have loyalty towards our king. That is the king of kings, Jesus Christ. You know, loyalty is something that, that is, we know so little of today, I think, sometimes. They say that there's nothing better than a loyal dog, you know. But there is, and that is your loyalty to the Lord. And see, these guys were loyal to the king, David. And they said, wherever you go, David... We're going to follow after you. We're going to be with you. And we're going to continue to be soldiers for you. And I hope that's our mindset. I hope that's our prayer in our hearts that, Lord, we're going to be loyal to you. I'm going to be loyal to you. 
wherever you take me, whatever battle that is before me, I want to stay close to you and I want to walk with you. And that's what these guys did. And I hope that we are loyal to one another in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would stick by each other through good times and bad times. And, and that loyalty would be seen, and I, I believe, is a godly characteristic that we should have as Christians. So they go with the king and with David as he begins to leave Jerusalem. He's heading out in the wilderness. He's heading towards the east. He's going to be crossing the brook Kedron and up to the Mount of Olives. In verse 19, then the king said to Hittite, to Gittite, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Hittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Hittai, Go and cross over. Then Hittai to Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over the king himself also crossed over the brook Kedron and all the people crossed over towards the way of the wilderness so here is one that we're introduced to to Hittite the Gittite now in other words he's from Gath this guy was a Philistine that has come over to follow David he just came the day before and David turns to him and says you're a foreigner you're a Philistine and you just came to me, you know, yesterday. You don't need to be involved in this. I don't want to drag you into this. You need to take your family, your little ones, and go ahead and go back. This really shouldn't concern you. And we see that Hittai says, no, I'm going to go with you. Wherever the king goes, surely whatever place my lord the king will be, whether it's death or life, so your servant will be. And again, he shows that loyalty and that commitment to the king. And I pray in our hearts it would be the same with us. Lord, wherever you want me to be, wherever you're taking me, I am going to be there. I'm going to be committed to following after you. But here's the interesting thing, that you recall that it was the Philistines, and we talked a little bit about this as we went through 1 Samuel. The whole desire of the Lord to, to bring Israel into the land for them to follow after the Lord, to, to keep his commandments. It was the Lord that said to them that the other nations are going to know that I am the Lord. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and the Lord was pouring out the plagues upon Egypt, that they may know that, that I am the Lord. And when you get into the promised land and they, you follow after me and keep my commandments and the other nations see how you are blessed and how I protect you and how I am with you, it was to be a witness, a light to those other nations. And then the people would want to turn to the Lord. But what happened over their history, of course, they would get involved with idol worship. They would get involved with um, different um, false practices. They were ones that um, they turned inwardly. And then we saw that in First Samuel that they said, we want to be like the other nations and we want a king. And the Lord said, that Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me, because I truly want to be their king. That's why I call them Israel, which means ruled by God. And so here is David, he's the king, he has a heart after God, and, and there was Hittite that saw something special in that, and I believe it was a witness to him. 
And he comes over to David and says, I don't want to be a part of the Philistines anymore. And I'm bringing my family, I'm bringing these little ones that are with me, my servants, to come and serve you, David, to come and be with you and to follow after you. What my prayer is that in our lives, again, that as we go out of this place, that we would continue to be a light to others. Because people will see that light. And, and people will be attracted to that light. Hopefully, they see that there's something different about you, the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in your own heart. And that interests me as Hittites here. And, and we can go more into it because it was the Philistines, you recall, that they knew of the things that happened to Egypt. They knew the plagues that came down. They, they knew the stories, but yet they would not repent and turn to the Lord. But here, apparently, Hittai was attracted to uh, that light that was being radiated from David's heart and, and what God was doing with Israel. So we continue in verse 24. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark, the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. And then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back to the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, Thus I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as it seems good to him. And so David is just trusting the Lord in, in submission to God's chastening, what's happening here. If the Lord has found favor, he's going to be bringing back to Jerusalem. But Zadok, you need to go back to the city. Take, you know, your sons, the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, the Levites here carrying the Ark of the Covenant. You need to go back to Jerusalem. He has something for them to do. Uh, as we see in verse 27, the king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you. Uh, Himahaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. And see, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. And therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So you can, guys go back. You go back, and um, you're going to be a help to me. You guys hear the reports of what my son Absalom is doing, and then send your sons to go and tell me what's happening, and so you can be useful to me. And then we read in um, verse 30, So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. So here's David. He's left Jerusalem. He's heading east. He's crossed the brook, brook Kedron. He hits up the ascent to the Mount of Olives, which is really a hill. And he begins to go up. He's barefooted. He's got a cover over his head, which is a sign of humility and mourning. And he's weeping. You can just picture David and his servants doing this. His heart is broken because his son Absalom is coming to get him, to overthrow him. His son Absalom is coming to do him in. And he's, he's weeping. And he's saddened, and there's sorrow that is in his heart. You know, there on the side of the hill of the Mount of Olives was another place a thousand years later where our Lord would go, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he was sorrowful, very troubled in his soul, as he would say, as he was sweating great drops of blood, as he was getting ready to go to the cross of Calvary. <coughs> And so here is David in this time of great trouble. It's interesting, isn't it ironic that the Lord had brought David from the wilderness to the palace of Jerusalem and now 
David finds himself later on in his life. He's over 50 years old. He's been king for over 20 years. He's gone from the palace back to the wilderness where he is being pursued once again by somebody who hates him. And this time it's his own son, Absalom. In verse 31, then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Oh, he begins to pray, turn his counsel into foolishness. And you know why? Because we're going to see in the next chapter that it is told to us that the counsel of the Hithophel was as if it was from the oracles of God, that he inquired of the Lord himself. He was such a wise, godly man. And I made mention of this, but I, I want to bring it out once again because I think it's important. Ahithophel here is with Absalom. Ahithophel, he has that root of bitterness in his heart as well. And he's angry towards David and he has unforgiveness. Why? Because he has a granddaughter whose name was Bathsheba. And Ahithophel is very angry at what David did to his granddaughter Bathsheba and to her husband Uriah having him killed. And Ahithophel was very close to David. I think that David was closer to Ahithophel than he was to Jonathan. And David talks about that in Psalm 55, and, and I've read it to you, but I just want to read a few verses to you to just show you how David, he gets this news, Ahithophel's with Absalom, and David knows, oh, Lord, please, confuse his counsel. He's very wise, but David is heartbroken. He's weeping. It's very difficult. Ahithophel, and he writes in Psalm 55, verse 12, he says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you. He says, it was you. It was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. In other words, he's saying it was you, Ahithophel, a man, my equal, my acquaintance, my, my friend. And, and we walked together. We took sweet counsel together. And I picture David and Ahithophel staying up late at night because David had such a heart for God. Uh, listening to Ahithophel, they walked together as they would address the congregation. And Ahithophel was there with David. And all of a sudden, Ahithophel, being full of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, he is with Absalom and he wants David dead. And this broke David's heart. And he writes about it. And so again, the rotten fruit that we see, what happens when there is unforgiveness, when there is anger towards somebody who has hurt you, that root of bitterness that springs up and grips your heart. I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. In verse 32, now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, if you go on with me, then you'll become a burden to me. But if you return to the city, say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously. So I will now also be your servant. Then you may defeat the counsel of the Hithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, 
Ahimahay, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, who's Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So here's Hushai, he's devoted to David, and David says, listen, don't go with me, you'll be a burden to me. What he's saying is, is that you need to go back to Jerusalem. I got a better plan for you. There's a better use for you. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Absalom and I want you to try to confuse the council of Ahithophel because David knows that if that doesn't happen, he's in big trouble. And so confuse this council. Go back and do that. Now there's a couple principles here that we need to, to bring out that I hope that we can apply in our own lives. And that is sometimes we want to do something for the Lord and the Lord would say, I don't want you to go in this direction. But I want you to go and do something else. And we need to be open to the Lord and the leading of the Lord in that. Be sensitive to hearing his voice. Hushai wanted to go with David, and the Lord said, no, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and, and that's where you're going to be useful to me. And we always want to be sensitive to the Lord in the big picture and in the everyday picture. The Lord, where do you want me today? And perhaps we make plans that tomorrow I'm going to do this or go in this direction, and maybe the Lord might want to interrupt that and tell you to go to this place. I want you to counsel this person. I want you to go see them and just be open to the leading of the Lord and the leading of the Spirit in your life. And that's what makes Christianity so wonderful, an adventure in our lives as we do that. But also here we see that there is David. He's making these plans. And as he's making these plans, God is working and, and God is showing him things. But I don't want to miss this before we go into chapter 16. And that is in verse 32. It says, when David got to the top of the mountain, the Mount of Olives, what did he do? He worshiped. And that's the second principle. And the second application that these verses that I just read to you. Because oftentimes when we're going through difficult times and dark days and challenging times or there's sorrow in our hearts, we forget to turn to the Lord. And in this time that we've looked at Absalom's, you know, his his attitude, his mindset from the time that chapter 13 began in all these years, we don't see Absalom really seeking the Lord. But David here, he takes the time. David, who is a man after God's own heart, he did stop here and he worshiped. And it's very important for you and for me in those dark days and difficult circumstances that we take time and we worship the Lord and we seek the Lord. Oftentimes people will come and they will come and they will see me, and they got troubles, and I'm glad that they come and see me, and they got difficulties, and Pastor Jeff, I need to do something, and I'll ask him, have you prayed about it? No, I haven't, and I've been so troubled. Have you sought God's word and what he has to say about your situation? No, I really haven't done that, and I'll say, let's do that now. Let's, let's pray, and let's see what God has to say that he may give instructions, and he may give direction, that he may bring comfort to you as you seek him. And that's what David did. He worshiped. And maybe somebody's here tonight. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. I want to encourage you. Don't forget to worship and seek the Lord. And that needs to be a priority in your life. Because the Lord desires to be your counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. He desires to be your help as you do that. So here is um, this friend of David, Hushai, that's going back to Jerusalem for the purpose of trying to confuse the council of the Hithophel. Chapter 16, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mehishoseth, 
who met him with a couple saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisin, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkey are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. In verse 3, then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. And so the king said to Ziba, all, uh, Here, all that belongs to Mehithosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I might find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Ziba is a good guy, isn't he? How great it was for him to saddle these donkeys and bring them to David and says, here's some food and your you know, household can ride on the donkeys and a big help. And, and David says, where's, where's your you know, master, Mehithosheth? You remember him? He's the son of Jonathan that David wanted to show kindness to as a result of the covenant that David made with Jonathan in 1 Samuel. Jonathan saying to David that I know, David, that you're going to be king someday. Even though you're running from my father Saul, that your kingdom's going to be established. And when it is, please don't do away with my family. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David brings the son of Jonathan to the palace in Jerusalem to show kindness to him and said, Mehithosheth, who was lame in his feet, you're going to sit at my table and eat at my table continuously. So we talked about how it's a wonderful picture that you and I who are lame spiritually, we come to Christ, receive the mercy as we surrender to him, and now we're going to eat at the king's table as well. I can't wait till we're all in heaven together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We'll talk about that in our study of the book of Revelation. So Mehithosheth, he had found grace and favor in the sight of David. And all of a sudden, here is Ziba saying, oh, you know what? He's turned against you as well, David. And he thinks that perhaps this is an opportunity for his house and for his family to be established on the throne once again. Ziba seems like he's coming in humility. I humbly bow before you. But we're going to find out in a few chapters he's lying. And he's lying to David. And you see, there's an important lesson in that. You and I need to be discerning in sometimes when people come and, and, and particularly if, if we don't know them and they begin to slander somebody, oh, this person's doing this and doing that, be careful because there's always two sides to each story, isn't there? So David is going to find out that it was Ziba that was lying. And David, he doesn't know at this time. And he says all that was Mehithosheth, because David, you recall, gave all the land of the Saul, the house of Saul back to Mehithosheth. You know what? Your servant Ziba and all the guys work it. You're going to stay here in Jerusalem, but you're still going to benefit. And now David is saying, you know what? Forget that. Ziba is all yours. So we're going to see in a couple chapters that David is going to find out that Mehithosheth was deceived and slandered, and we'll get to that in a few chapters. And verse 5, Shimei is going to curse David as we read, King David came to Bahurim, and there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and, in, and all the servants uh, of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei 
said, thus when you curse, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, uh, you rogue. And so uh, who needs Satan when you got, you know, people like that around <laughs> cursing you and throwing rocks at you and kicking up uh, the dust and dirt and all of this. And we see that he's from a descendant of, of Saul and he's cursing David as he's there on the Mount of Olives heading out to the wilderness. The Lord has brought upon you, verse 8, uh, all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son so now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man as I hear this we know that it was David that was actually kind to the house of Saul and he acted righteously towards Saul as we saw in First Samuel the result of what happened to Saul and his family was because of Saul and because of his bitterness, and because of his rebellion against the Lord, and because of his hardness of heart. But yet here is this man that is blaming David for what had happened to Saul in the household of Saul. And so Abiashad, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king in verse 9, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. He's, he's saying, David, let me take care of this, okay? All I need to do is go over there and lop his head off. Now think about this, folks. Here is David. He's under a lot of stress. His son is coming after him. He's, he's weeping as he's going up to the Mount of Olives. He hears that Ahithophel, his close counselor and friend, has come against him. He thinks that Mehithosheth, who he was loyal to, has turned against him as well. And, and here is Shimei cursing him. And I think, what would I have done if I was in David's sandals? I probably would have said, Abishai, um, forget it, I'm going to go over there and lop his head off. And so oftentimes when we're going through hardship and difficulties and we're under stress, we want to react out of the flesh or out of our emotions. But David here at this time, that he says, listen, it's not going to happen as we're going to see. That I'm not going to take his head off. And David was allowing the Lord to work through him, and he wasn't going to let others determine what it is that he's going to do at this time. And that is so critical for us as a Christian to understand, don't let others or the situations that you're facing that are difficult just determine how it is that you're going to react and the direction you're going to go. You make sure you let the Lord primarily make that decision for you and work through you. You let the Lord determine how it is you're going to react towards people or towards the situation. Lord, I need your counsel. I need you. Lord, you lead me. I want to act righteously at this time. And I believe that David was able to do that. Why? Because chapter 15, verse 32, he stopped and he worshiped. He sought the Lord. And it was at that time that I believe you can go to Psalm 3. You can read the words of David, what he wrote when he was up there on that hill. I'll just read some verses to you very quickly here. As Psalm 3, he writes this psalm when he fled from Absalom, his son. And he writes, Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. How many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. From the Mount of Olives, 
Lord, there are those who are saying you're not with me. My enemies are increasing around me, but you're the lifter of my head, and he's the lifter of your head and my head as well. As we go and we just seek him and look to him, and Lord, you guide me and direct me and give me the strength I need right now. And may I react in the way that you want me to, not letting others determine that. So he goes on, and as he says in verse 10, Ten to to um, to um, this situation, but the king said, "What have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah?" So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, "Curse David." Who then shall say, "Why have you done so?" And David said to Abishai and all his servants, "See how my son, who come from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse?" For so the Lord has ordered him. I may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went and threw stones at him and kicked up the dust. And now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So I think that David's response here, he knew that if he kept himself humble and did what was right in the sight of the Lord at this moment, that God was going to take it and see it. And he's putting his hands into the Lord's, his future. He realizes that his real problem was Absalom right now, not Shemai. My son wants to kill me one who comes from my own body. This guy's just shooting off his mouth. So he's keeping things in perspective. It is interesting that in a few chapters, Semi is going to come and ask for forgiveness from David, and David is going to be graceful to him. But in 1 Kings chapter 2, Solomon is going to execute him for what he did to his dad. And so, verse 15, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel chose, this I will be, and with him I will remain. And furthermore, whom shall I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, and so I will be in your presence. So Absalom receives Hushai as an advisor. Hey, I'm going to serve you, and I'm here for your services and to give you counsel. In verse 20, Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice of what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched the tent for Absalom at the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of the Hithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of the Hithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So we see this fulfillment of Second Samuel chapter 12. Remember Nathan, and Nathan's not around at this time. But Nathan had said to David years previously after his sin with Bathsheba and Nathan confronted him that, that David, there's going to be one day he's going to go into your concubines. You did this sin in secret, but this is going to be done in front of all of Israel. And now it's a fulfillment of that. But we see that Ahithophel gives the advice. And you can just, you got to understand just the bitterness that this man has. He wants 
to bury David, Ahithophel. And he says, this is the first thing you do. Absalom, you go into your father's concubines. And when he gave that advice, he knew that there was absolutely no chance for any kind of of reconciliation now. That was it. Absalom had crossed the line when he did that. And that's what Ahithophel wanted to do. He wanted to give that message that he is now in place of king and there's no chance of reconciliation. That's the advice that he is given because that was what was going on in Ahithophel's heart. He doesn't want any kind of forgiveness, any kind of reconciliation, any kind of restoration, any kind of resolve um, for this situation at all. He wants to get at David in any way that he can. So you, Absalom, go into your father's concubines. And you can see Absalom, outwardly again, we're told that he was so handsome, he was perfect looking, he didn't have a blemish on him. He would go to Hebron where he began his rebellion, and he did these religious rituals, but he did not seek the Lord, and he's playing the fool here. And he's doing evil. And it's all driven again by his bitterness and wanting to get at his father. He didn't have a heart for God or a desire to please God. But when it comes to this man, Ahithophel, as well, when it says it strikes me that as he gave counsel, it was if one who had inquired at the oracle of God, this counsel that he's given, he's clouded in his counsel because of his bitterness and anger. Listen, I have known guys that know the scriptures, taught wonderful Bible studies, made powerful applications, great counselors of God's word, but yet something happened in their heart. They became angry, they became bitter, they became um, ones that were full of wrath, upset, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden their counsel is very much clouded because of that. And that's why it's very, very important that you and I that every day that we take our hearts and we present it before the Lord and say, Lord, search me and try me like David did as he writes and see if there's any wickedness in me and lead me to the way everlasting. And if your heart isn't right, then it's going to cloud your judgment and your decisions and what you're going to do in life and how you treat others. And that's why it's very important that you give those things to the Lord any sort of bitterness, any sort of anger, anything that's not right with the Lord. And give it to Him. And I know there are situations where you can be hurt. And I know that there are situations that, that, that are very difficult and cause there to be anger and, and bitterness. But you need to give it to the Lord. And that's why Jesus says that we are to forgive. Folks, we need to understand that's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. And the thing is, forgiveness can be one of the hardest things that God has called us to do. But he knows what it will do to an individual. If you are not forgiving, if you're full of anger, if you have the jealousies, if you have the bitterness, it produces rotten fruit and it will bind you up. And you'll be in bondage to it. And it will begin to affect your judgment and your attitudes and your decisions and your counsel towards others. So we go to the Lord. And we say, Lord, you help me to forgive. And you do it day by day, over and over again in those difficult situations. Because you see, we can't do it in our own energies. 
when we've been cut very deep. Absalom was hurt. His sister was raped. And dad didn't do anything about it. Then he ignored me. And, and Ahithophel was hurt because of what had happened to his granddaughter. But they didn't give it to the Lord and they didn't ask for that forgiveness. And we need to do that day by day and bit by bit and over and over again. Because it does begin to affect us and eat at us. So here's the result of all of that. You do that. This is what you are to do. And moreover, Ahithophel in chapter 17 said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men that I will rise and pursue David tonight. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king. And I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Now Ahithophel says, now that that's done, now that you've done this act of going to David's concubines, let me go after him. Let me go after him right now. Let me take 12,000 men. And I am not interested in his mighty men or the other servants that are with him. I will kill David only and I will come back and there will be peace. Let me do this. Ahithophel knew that if he was going to have a chance to get his vengeance out on David, that this was the night to do it. Let me go after him while he is weak. Know this in our own lives, that the enemy is going to come after you when you are weak and weary. That's when he's really going to want to come after you. And you can see the rotten fruit of this bitterness and anger that Ahithophel has, one who was so close to David, who has been hurt, and let that root of bitterness spring up and produce its rotten fruit. He's saying, let me go after David, and I will kill him. I don't care about anybody else. Let me go after him. He is weary, he is weak, and I will kill him. And so now, next week, we're going to see what the advice of Hushai is to try to confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. But tonight, as we just go to the Lord, this is my prayer. If any of those things that we've been talking about, of unforgiveness or jealousies or bitterness or anger are in your heart, give it to the Lord. He wants to help you. He desires to minister to you. He doesn't want you to be bound up in those kinds of feelings and emotions. Give it to the Lord. And allow him to do that work and bring in forgiveness into your life and comfort and healing if it's needed. And so you can be free. And that you can continue in making wise judgments and decisions for the Lord. But don't let that root of bitterness begin to spring up because as the book of Hebrews says, it will bring defilement not only to you, but to many. So Father, we thank you for this time as we've studied your word. and Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to look at these stories that we can learn from and look at these principles that are here for us, very important principles and truths. Father, we come tonight as we just spend a few minutes and just seeking you, and I just pray for us that, Lord, I pray first of all that that every person that is in this room or maybe sitting out in the coffee shop, if there is anyone that has never surrendered their heart to you, come to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ.
that you're not going to be able to, to do the things that God wants you to do unless you surrender your heart to Him. You see, Christianity is more than just sayings and philosophies to live by. It's, it's the person of Jesus Christ that you surrender to. And Jesus died for you, and you are forgiven as you surrender your heart. You see, He took your sin upon Himself as He hung on Calvary's cross for you. There's no other salvation for any man or any woman. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. He alone went to the cross and died for you. He alone rose from the grave. And he's alive and he's knocking on the door of your heart. If there's anybody that's here or listening to the radio program, if the Lord is touching your heart, don't pass up this moment at giving your heart to Jesus Christ. And you can pray right where you're sitting, knowing the wonderful gospel, the good news is that we're all separated from Christ because of our sin. But Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. He came and died for you because of his love for you. He's the Son of God who took our sins upon himself that we may have forgiveness of sin and that we can have true relationship with God the Father and that we can have the hope of heaven. Open your heart to him. And you can receive that free gift of salvation by a simple prayer, meaning it from your heart. It means that as the good news says, to turn to Jesus, repent, and you call upon him. Today is the day of salvation. You pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior because I come to you and I believe that you're the Son of God who died on Calvary's cross for me. And Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And I believe that you rose again and you're alive and right now you're in my heart. Thank you for that forgiveness and thank you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus. As I turn to you, and surrender my heart to you. I pray for anyone here that perhaps that there is in your heart those things that you know it's very hard and difficult. Maybe a root of bitterness or anger or unforgiveness, those feelings. And Lord, I just pray that right now they would just cast their cares upon you and humbly just come and say, Lord, I know that You've been dealing with me. Help me, Lord. Help me to forgive. Help me, Lord, to, to do what is right. Maybe you're in a situation where you got decisions that you need to make. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Whatever it may be. But Lord, the decisions that they make, that they would want to make it in a way that honors you, Lord, that it's not clouded by the anger that is there or unforgiveness, but Lord, that we would hear clearly from you. So Father, I pray that right now, if anybody's struggling, that right now as we just have a minute, that they would just confess that to you. And that you would just give it to the Lord and ask for his healing and for his strength in you right now. He knows your situation. He knows what you're dealing with. And he desires to help you and to bless you.